this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive on Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. As we light candles on the Advent wreath today of hope, peace, joy, and love, I wanted these Sunday morning messages to also be about hope, peace, joy, and love. And I hope you'll forgive me today, but I am skipping ahead in the story of Jesus' birth and sharing from one of the few stories that we have of Jesus' childhood. It's from the Gospel of Luke when Mary and Joseph takes their 40-day-old son to the temple to be dedicated to God. And I wanted to share this story today because there are two people that they encounter in the temple who have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this moment. And it is certainly a great moment of joy when these two people recognize the gift of a Savior they've been waiting for. And so today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And it's a bit long, but I want you to hear the whole story. It's 22 through 40. And this is what the scripture says. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout and looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles for the glory of your people of Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said. And then Simeon blessed him and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. And at that moment she came and began to praise God to speak about the child to all were looking for, the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. 
The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and favor of God was upon him. So on the 40th day of this newborn son's life, these two tired parents bring their son into the temple to dedicate him to God. And as they are there making this offering, two people encounter them and are amazed. First, they meet Simeon and prophet named Anna. Now, they both recognize Jesus as the Savior, the one they've been waiting for. We don't know Simeon's age, but Luke tells us that the prophet Anna was 84 years old. She's been waiting her entire life for this moment. She has been waiting in hope for this one moment. Can you imagine waiting for something that long? Day and day, week and week, year after year, she's waiting in the temple, waiting for a savior. And every year in the season of Advent, we wait. We light candles in the darkness and watch as the lights grow and shine a little bit more. But every week, we still remind ourselves that we are waiting, that we are waiting for Jesus' birth, that it's not quite Christmas yet. My children have asked me how many days until Christmas now that I just tell them to go and count the days on our Advent calendar, and I consider it a homeschool lesson. And here we are in 2020, and I think we all have a deeper understanding of what it means to wait. Because right now, living in the midst of this pandemic, we are certainly all waiting for something waiting for life to return to some sense of normalcy, waiting for a day when we can sing and fill this sanctuary up to capacity and beyond, waiting for a day when every minor decision doesn't seem so monumental or consequential anymore, and certainly waiting for a time where there will be an end to such suffering and sickness and death. We are waiting, We're waiting. And the hard thing I think about this experience is that not only are we waiting for all those things, but we're also waiting for other things in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our average everyday lives. We all have things we are waiting for. Parents who are sick and going through medical treatment waiting for our work to become less stressful, waiting for us to get a handle of the bills, waiting for friendships and, and families going through conflict and addictions that still consume us. We are all waiting for something. And in the darkness of this time of year, as we begin to celebrate Christ's birth, before I push on, towards joy this morning, I wanted to simply remind us all, while we wait, that new life begins in the darkness. Every seed planted in the ground reminds us of this truth. There is no spring without winter, 
New life begins in the dark. So whatever you are waiting for this morning, whatever hopes and longings you continue to bring to God, day after day, week after week, year after year, remember that while we wait, God is at work. God is at work in our midst. And Anna and Simeon knew so much about what it meant to wait for something, to hope for something, to hold on to something for so long. These two people waited and hoped for a savior. And they'd been waiting so long, I'm quite certain that people thought some days it must be foolish to keep waiting. I wonder if Simeon and Hannah even thought some days it would be foolish to keep waiting. But Simeon is so overjoyed by this moment in the temple when he encounters Jesus that he actually says, God, now I can die in peace. He says, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And the prophet Anna is there too, constantly in the temple, fasting and praying, day after day, round the clock, and she is overjoyed when she encounters the Savior she's been waiting for for a long, long time. Joy is different than happiness, isn't it? It's, it's not the same as happiness. Joy is just different. You can't fake it or pretend it. There's this really painful scene in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where George Bailey knows he needs this money that he's not going to be able to come up with. And he heads back to his house, and he's just trying to pretend, you know, just trying to keep it all together for a little while. And, but his house is just exploding with the joy of Christmas. You know, his daughter's playing on the piano, and his sons are playing in the living room, and his wife's working on Christmas dinner, and suddenly, suddenly, <laughs> he starts cracking. He starts unraveling because he just can't pretend. It's a painful scene in the movie. In fact, maybe you even know how many times have you gone through a really stressful day at work or life, and you've managed to just keep it all together, and then some moment you lose your car keys, some minor thing, and you just totally lose your mind about not being able to find your keys, but it's not really about looking for those car keys, is it? Joy, it can't be forced. <laughs> you can't fake it or pretend it. You can't just make it happen because joy doesn't come from us. I remember not too many years ago, Christmas Day fell on a Sunday morning, and I was not thrilled about this as a minister. I had two toddlers, really, and I thought, this is, this is going to be a hard year to juggle the mom and the minister thing. It was all happening on Christmas Day. And um, I was a real Debbie Downer about it, frankly. I was not really thrilled about it at all. 
Um, I thought, nobody's going to come. Nobody's going to come. We're, we're going to have just been at church just hours before for the Christmas Eve worship. Nobody's going to turn around and come to church on Christmas Day. In fact, we had planned to do something totally different. We weren't even going to do a typical worship service. We had planned to do a service project. In fact, all month long, people had been bringing in food pantry items or toiletries, some other collections we were doing for various nonprofits in our community. And the plan on Christmas Day was for the tiny crowd that would show up was that we would organize all these items to get ready to be delivered to these nonprofits. And then we would pray and have communion and go on home. And so anyway, I, I showed up tired Christmas morning to the fellowship hall, astounded by the number of people there ready to help and lend a hand. And I remember we prayed and somebody gave instructions to everybody and then everyone got to work and started placing things here and there. And um, in the midst of all that, somebody started singing Christmas songs and people started joining in. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And there were two ladies in their 80s that were occupying my kids with donuts. And I looked at the crowd from 2 to 92, and I was just overwhelmed with joy. The joy at what it was to be church. The joy of our faith. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. You know, I remember one time I did a funeral for somebody, and after the funeral, someone in my church came up to me, and she said, I got a bone to pick with you. And I took a breath and said, okay. And she said, you know, we talked a lot about joy and thanksgiving and gratitude, that whole service. And when you do my funeral, I want to make sure everybody's good and sad and lots of crying. And I said, well, that's... That's actually going to depend upon you if everyone's good and sad. So, And we both kind of laughed about that for a bit. And then um, just a few months later, though, she and I found ourselves in my office planning her husband's funeral. It had been unexpected and unplanned, as this is. And as we were planning, she said, uh, I take it back. Joy is the right word, because I am overwhelmed with joy at the gift it was to have him. That's the thing. Joy can show up at even the saddest of moments. You know, over these last few weeks, I've been teaching a class, an Advent class, where we talk about the different names for Jesus. The first week was King. This past week was Savior. And um, as the class wrapped up, it's an online class, as a closing of sorts, I just asked everyone to reflect on a few phrases. And one of those phrases was, Jesus saves me from. And as I listened to each offering, people shared what they thought of. Jesus saves me from despair. Jesus saves me from brokenness. Jesus saves me from anger, hopelessness, 
Jesus saves me from death. Jesus saves me from myself. Jesus saves me from sin. And as I listened to all these, one by one shared, I, I could feel it with me in that moment, the realization of the joy of our faith. The joy it is to have a Savior. The joy it is to have a Savior who saves us from our hopelessness and despair. The joy it is to have a Savior who lifts us above our brokenness and our anger, our sins. The joy it is to have a Savior who conquers death so that nothing and no one would be apart from us. Because, you know, they thought they had him gone in the tomb, but it wasn't the end of the story. Because life begins in the darkness. And the joy it is to have a Savior like that. <laughs> a Savior who loves us just as we are, but loves us too much to let us stay that way. A Savior who pulls us out of the mud and muck and brokenness and despair of our lives. What a joy it is. And so church, we can stand at the foot of the grave and feel joy. We can feel brokenness in the dark and despair and loss and still feel joy. No matter what we face, no matter how hard the road is, no matter how dark and uncertain it seems, the joy of our faith is that the light still breaks through the darkness. And what a joy it is. My life.